Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Hello to all my listeners. I am Meredith Bell, the host of the Grow Strong Leaders podcast, which is brought to you by my company. And you can find out more about what we do at growstrongleaders.com. We are publishers of software tools and books that help people communicate more effectively with each other in the workplace. Today, I'm really excited about my guest. I want to welcome Helen Appleby to my show. Welcome, Helen. Hello, Meredith. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I am very (laughs) excited about our conversation today. Uh, Let me tell my audience a little bit about you before we get started. Helen is a true expert in women's leadership. And it's because she navigated her own path to success in corporate life, learning all kinds of things along the way. And now she provides coaching and training to other women leaders. She has run a billion, that's with a B, dollar global business and lived and worked in six different countries in her corporate career. And she wrote her wonderful book, which I have right here, The Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership to help other women step into their power, write their own rules and succeed in their careers. And she's also the host of the Unwritten Rules podcast where she interviews women about their journeys and lessons learned in the corporate world. So Helen, I love all the things you are doing to elevate women. You know, there's so much work to be done in this area to provide anything close to equity for women. And so this is going to be such an important conversation. And I especially want to alert the men who are my listeners, because there is much for you to learn in the way you can support women in the workplace. And so I just know all of my audience is going to benefit from our conversation today, Helen. Let's start by you talking about your experiences in the corporate world. What um, what are some of the things that you did that um, influenced where you are today? Wow, thank you, Meredith. Um, I guess, if you like, the, the reason I wrote the book going back was that, you know, when I was little, my dad told me that girls can do anything that boys can do. And I believed him. And, uh, and you know, I really took that to heart. You know, I was super competitive as a kid. I competed a lot um, sports-wise and, you know, had jobs from very young. And, you know, I really did I really did do everything that the boys did. And, uh, and then when, you know, joining, going to college and majoring in business and um, joining corporate life, I guess, you know, in our twenties, we don't really realize maybe that it's different for women because everybody's kind of thrown in at the deep end and, you know, everybody's thrashing around in the deep end of the pool and and we don't really notice. But I think gradually as my twenties went on and, you know, and as I went into my thirties, I realized that, 
there was there was part of the puzzle that was missing for me, if you like. Um, I kept finding that men were getting promoted ahead of me, and I didn't understand why. Um, and that you know there were there were bits of navigating corporate life as a woman that I just I really struggled with. I really struggled with conflict. I took it really seriously and personally. Um, and, you know, I struggled with doing my job and doing my other job when I got home. I often felt like, you know, I left work too early and got home too late, even though I only lived 10 minutes away. Um, and, you know, that I didn't seem to get, I didn't get asked to, for mentors to work with me and sponsors, I seem to struggle with that more than the guys did. And, you know, the guys just seem to be friends and everyone above me was that was senior was a man. Um, and I was frustrated, like really frustrated. And so, you know, and I went on all the courses, right? And that it just, it wasn't in the courses that I went on. I felt like I didn't get taught what I really needed to know to navigate mm-hmm. as a woman. Um, and so, you know, ultimately I learned and ultimately I navigated and succeeded and, you know, I learned from research. I learned from the few women that were ahead of me. Um, and, you know, I had to wake up and do some of the stuff that was uncomfortable and maybe really face some of the areas where maybe I was holding myself back. Um, so I absolutely got there, but, you know, I was left with this overall feeling of, it needn't have been that hard. It shouldn't have been that hard. I should not have cried in the bathroom as often as I did. Um, mm. And so, you know, that was hence the the birth of the unwritten rules of women's leadership. You know, the stuff that I honestly wish I'd learned earlier in my career. And if I had, would have made it a lot easier. Mm. Yeah, it's, I would love to have you talk about a few of your experiences that were especially poignant that you know you, you that were sort of wake up calls or aha moments that you went wow this is not right this needs to be changed were there specific times like that along the way other than what you just mentioned generally i think when it used to hit me was when people got promoted maybe when there wasn't a process i remember one specific instance you know, being told, oh, you know, you're in line for a big global role and, you know, you're a really strong candidate. And then the person that the the role, you know, there was a role that came up and I was so excited and then it was filled and there was no process. And it was filled by someone who wasn't great, but was, in my opinion, but was very friendly with the senior leaders. And it it was really then that I realized the rules that I'm playing, the way I'm playing this game is really not working for me. You know, that time I couldn't even cry silently in the bathroom. That time I had to go out into the parking lot and into my car and cry. (laughs) Um, So that was a, that was a big, a big wake up call for me. And I think, you know, what I ended up doing then was going and asking for advice and going to the senior leader that, you know, had made that decision and asking what I needed to do. I didn't reference the promotion that had already happened, but what do I need to do? And he said to me, I don't really know enough about you. He said, I, I don't have a strong 
idea of what your brand is about. He said, I don't have a negative impression of you, but I don't particularly have a positive impression of you. I don't really know what you do. And so, and I had been doing great work and hoping and assuming it was being noticed. Mm. So, you know, one of the rules I talk about a lot in my book and that I teach and coach a lot on is this rule that is unwritten, which is there is visible work and invisible work. Yes. And that was one only- of the chapters that really popped out for me. And I, I think this is so important um, for us to go into. So others listening, understand that first explain what you mean by each of those. What is an example of invisible work versus visible work? So if you think about the work you do, the work you do, the results you deliver, the value you add, right? When I say to women, there is visible work and invisible work, and we only get judged on our visible work, right? Usually there's kind of a collective groan in the room, like, oh, you know, so much of what I do is invisible. Mm-hmm. And so really, I, I encourage people to think, what is it? of those three things, right? The work you do, the results you add and the value you deliver that people know about. And if you really think about like who needs to know, right? I say, think about who will be in the room or consulted when your next role is discussed, right? Your next move or your next promotion, right? And that is not two people. That is not just your boss and your HR leader. (laughs) That list is usually between six and 10 people long. And do those people know what you do? Do they know about your invisible work? And often people say, oh, you know, they have no idea. You know, if I left, they'd have to replace me with three people. You know, I'm doing all this stuff that, you know, people don't see. And it doesn't, you know, it's not going to work if you keep invisible and, you know, assume that you're going to get promoted. And that was the mistake that I made. So then it's about, okay, what do I do about it then? And so now, you know, I was then stuck in that loop of, oh, so now I have to self-promote. And, uh, you know, that feels so icky and nasty and like, oh gosh, you know, something else on the to-do list that I don't have time to do. Um, and so again, the, the pivot for me and the learning for me and where I was able to make the change was to not think of it as self-promotion, but to think of it as education. Mm, that is so, I think that's such a fabulous um, distinction. I loved what you wrote about in your book. So talk about the difference. What does that look like when someone is focused on educating others versus self-promotion? I think it has a it has a different kind of um, place to come from. Really, it's really about teaching them, right, and explaining and helping them understand what it is that you do. Um, and that, for me, was a lot easier for me to do authentically than to feel like I was bragging. And I know, you know, if it's if it's true, it ain't bragging, but still you know, booking time in someone's schedule to, you know, brag about what I'd done, just I couldn't make myself do. Whereas talking to someone and educating them on what we'd done and what the team had delivered and, you know, the work that was going on and when we were going to be seeing them next was a lot easier to do for me. 
Um, so what does that actually look like? Let's, let's paint a picture for folks listening. If they want to educate someone in a senior level position, what do you recommend as a way for them to approach the person and have the opportunity to get on their calendar? And then once they're there in front of them, what's the approach? What does it mean, mm. in other words, to educate someone? Mm. So what I would say is go back to those two lists, work out what it is that's you know invisible that you're working on and work out who's going to be in the room or consulted when your next role is discussed. And then say, right, where are the gaps? Where do I need to update them? And then what I would suggest is, um, you know, it's it was easier when we were in person, but, you know, asking for some time in their schedule. And one of the easiest ways is to ask for advice, right? Can I put some time in your diary? I've got some questions for you, right? But get some time with them, give them an update, tell them what you're up to and ask for advice. This is what I'm up to. These are, you know, this is the latest progress on the project. And I'd like to ask you about, you know, for your region, is this going to work? Or, you know, what's your experience of managing this process? Or have you got any advice for me? Because people love to be asked for advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, you know, stakeholder management, as I call it, is, is about building relationships, right? So, you know, if you're asking for advice and giving them an update, and you're taking their advice, then subconsciously, people support what they help to build. Mm. So if they feel that I'm on a journey, you know, if they're on a journey with me and I'm taking their advice and, you know, they're involved, then they're going to take an interest and they're going to be supportive. Mm -hmm. And it really creates a natural situation where they would then ask you later, how are things going? Mm. Because you've mm. helped them know what you're working on. And then if they've given you input, all of us would have that curiosity. Well, did you take my advice? What are you doing with it? Even though yeah. they might not ask that overtly, that's really what they are wanting to know. Did what? Because we all like to be helpful. And so the idea yeah. of them having been able to be helpful for you really does make a solid connection there. And I think you know, you can wait for them to ask, or you can proactively say, wow, that was an amazing suggestion, Meredith. Um, I'm going to try that. Can I give you an update in a couple of months? I'm going to come back and let you know how it went. And to be honest, if I don't get it quite right, I'd love to bounce that off you. Would you be open to that? And what are they going to say? Of course, they're going to say yes. Right. (laughs) So then you have the opportunity to go back and say, Meredith, we talked two months ago and, you know, you suggested that I invited these couple of people on my podcast, thank you so much. I did it. They were amazing. You were right. You know, any other thoughts of who I should invite? And, you know, the, the business version of that, it works, right? It builds the relationship. They, you know, you're on a kind of journey together um, and it makes your invisible work visible so that, you know, when the next role comes up, they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, Helen. Yeah, yeah, she's working on this. And she'd be great at that. This this whole thing of, I think, women, and these are all these messages we get, right, about not coming on too strong, not being too self-promotional. So speaking about educating someone, I think, is an excellent approach. How do you help women get over some of the 
barriers that they have to even wanting to go forward and do that? What are some of the things that are holding them back? So often, I think they just don't know how to do it, right? So that that process that I laid out, you know, just shifting your mindset from self-promotion to teaching and educating, having the list, realizing that, you know, the goalposts are not where you thought they are. I think we're, you know, many of us are taught to be good girls and we continue in work life as if we were still at school, right? Going through school, getting A's and going through work and getting A's when in fact it's the game has changed. So some of that, you know, just the knowledge helps, right? Wow. I didn't realize that. So normally when I say to people, there's visible work and invisible work, and I, we only get judged on our visible work, they'll say, oh, I wish I'd known that 10 years ago. Right? So sometimes just knowing it is enough. Mm-hmm. Right? If that's still not enough, then you know, on a one-on-one basis, and in the book, I talk about just getting clear on what your inner critic voices are saying to you and how you can you know, get clear on what the voices are in your head that are holding you back and whether or not they're true, right? Because mm. if you write them down, often those nasty, what I call the itty-bitty shitty committee, all those voices in your head that are telling you, you know, you're not enough and, you know, who are you to do this and you're too mm-hmm. far behind and, you know, they're better than you and they're going to find you out, right? That stuff, if you write it down and then look at it, you'll realize it's not actually true. And then, there's a process that we go through where you find the voice of your inner coach, right? You thank your inner critic, you give it a name, you thank it, and then you speak back to it in the voice of your inner coach. So my inner critic is called Hamster. I've given it a name (laughs) and I know where it comes from. And thank you, Hamster. I've got this, you know, I can do this. I'm not just my achievements. Um, So doing some of that work really can set women free from the voices that hold us back. But to be clear, those voices in our head, those inner critic voices are not just in the heads of women, right? They, they hold everyone. Yes, back. that is so true. And I love the, the fun you bring to it by naming it hamster, because how can you get but so upset when you say, okay, hamster. <laughs> so right. I think, you know, we, I know for me, I tend to take myself way too seriously. And so to inject an element of humor lightens it up a bit. And so that that makes it more fun than giving it a more sinister name to make it more ominous and and more powerful than it really has to be. And that's the key. You've hit the nail on the head there, Meredith. It's the power. I think when we don't realize that those inner critic voices, you know, we have to realize that they're not talking, they're talking to us, right? So they're not us. They're from the ego and the role of those inner critic voices is actually to keep you safe, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're ego voices that are trying to keep you small and safe. And when you write them down, you'll see that they're not actually true. So to get separation from that stuff is real and I really am not enough, right? To, oh, it's the voices, you know, it's the inner critic voice that's telling me I'm not enough again. What does that mean? That means I'm, you know, out of my comfort zone. It means I'm trying something new. Right, to get some separation between them is 
is freeing, really, really freeing. And I say to uh, women in, when we do um, courses and workshops, you know, the good news is they're not true. The bad news is they're never going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just about getting space between you and them and realizing and reminding yourself again and again that they're not true. Mm-hmm. And it just means you're growing and you're at what I call the crunchy edges of your comfort zone. <laughs> I like that. that. I like that crunchy edge uh, because you might step on a rock or two that kind of hurts as you're yeah, uncomfortable. Along. Yeah, it's but, uncomfortable um, till you get used to it. Exactly. And then, you know, yeah. and then it is comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, leading courses used to be super edgy for me, you know. The, the prospect of writing a book, we've written them, haven't we? Like super edgy. And then, you know, the other side of it, it's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it got it done. Exactly. And, and each of those things I find as I try something different that is outside my comfort zone, it's, it's like what you just said. Well, that wasn't so bad, you know? Mm. Or, I'm going to try this or I'm going to do that. It Just because... Mm-hmm nothing bad happened. We build these things up. We believe our thoughts. That's what you're really talking about. We tend to believe what we think must be true because we thought it, but in reality, it's just a thought. (laughs) It's just a thought and we can have good ones. Well, another aspect of your book that I think is, and you, you even mentioned this in your book, the two chapters, the one on visible and invisible work, but then the chapter on mentors and sponsors is really a key also to helping women. And we don't understand this. A lot of times we've never heard of it. So let's first talk about what do you mean when you say those two terms, mentor and sponsor? Mm. Um, So sometimes they overlap, but they are, it's really much more useful to think of them distinctly, right? A mentor um, is someone that shares their journey with you right? Mentor, the word comes from a map, right? It's kind of sharing the map with you. So a mentor is really someone who is at least two steps ahead of you on the journey, right? And they talk to you about their journey. A sponsor, however, is different. A sponsor is someone that talks about you when you're not in the room. So much more of an advocate. And I think, you know, mentors are without doubt career accelerators but sponsors are second level career accelerators. Um, but, you know, in growing strong leaders, if you talk to strong leaders and successful leaders, they will often speak about the power of mentors and sponsors on their journey. Um, and, you know, from a female perspective, if you're so naturally, we tend to mentor and sponsor people unconsciously that remind us of ourselves when we were younger, Mm. right? We take an interest in people's careers because they remind us, you know, oh, you know, I was young and ambitious and female and, you know, struggling to break through, right? And what am I doing, right? I'm going back and mentoring women that were like me 20 years ago, aren't I? So it's unconscious. But what that means is that if the people at the top of the organization don't look like you and you don't remind them of you when they were young, it's it's much, much harder to find mentors and sponsors because they won't find you, which means you have to ask. 
So, you know, the fact that mentors and sponsors are helpful was not an unwritten rule for me. I knew. I just didn't know how to ask for them. Uh Um, And I didn't know who I should ask. So that process of saying, okay, if a mentor is two steps ahead of me on my journey, what are my journeys in my career? And where do I need help? And so for me, you know, wanting to work internationally, wanting to work outside of my home market, you heard, you said in my um, intro, didn't you, I've lived and worked in six countries. So I mm-hmm. wanted to travel. I wanted an, inter- you know, multi- I had multiple international assignments. So someone who was two steps ahead of me there, someone who had been very senior in marketing um, and, you know, had a, a big global strategic marketing role, that journey was ahead of me. And then the other journey that was really important to me was navigating that as, you know, as a female and as a working mom and how to deal with that. So those were kind of conceptually the, the three areas that I needed help with. And then, you know, once you've worked out yours, you then say, okay, now who's at least two steps ahead of me. And then it comes back back to, you know, a bit like, when we were talking about earlier about visible work and invisible work, it's about reaching out to them and saying, Hey, you know, I love how you have, you know, worked, been able to leave your home country and, you know, you're on your second assignment. I'm looking to be moved out of the UK too. Can I ask your advice on that? And asking, giving them an update, letting them know that you'd like to move to asking for their advice, you know, remembering it, coming back and giving them an update and then and building that relationship right and then you can start to use words like you know i'm so thankful that you know someone's done this before me um mm-hmm. and that you know i've i've got someone who you know can i can ask this kind of mentoring advice of and then you know over time building that to the point where they realize and they know that you're their mentor and you can go back for regular discussions mm-hmm. um so that's how you do it for mentors Sponsors is a little different though, right? You really, there's even more emphasis on building a relationship with them because advocating for someone when they're not in the room is obviously, it puts your own reputation on the line. Yes, I was just thinking that. And so, yeah, so to go and to say, hey, you know, Meredith, you don't know me, (laughs) you know, can you speak to your publisher about me, you know, or can you advocate for me when you're not in the room? That or in a corporate setting, you know, you don't know me, but when a job comes up in, you know, at the next level, could you put my name forward? Like that, it doesn't work like that, right? So you really have to earn sponsorship. And, you know, many of our sources of sponsors are ex-bosses, people that we've worked with directly who know us and know our work, or another source of potential sponsors, though, are mentors. If you've had internal mentors in your company, because mentors don't have to be internal, right? But if you've had internal mentors that you've built a relationship with and you've given them an update and they know what your aspirations are, then, you know, and they know that you do great work, they'll, they can be both. They can mm-hmm. both mentor and sponsor you. I was just thinking about that that as you were describing the mentor and then also the sponsor, I thought, Hmm, it, it could be that the same individual could, um, I won't say transition from one to the other because they could could still serve in both 
roles for you. But one of the things I'm wondering is how many people do you want to try to have as a mentor or as a sponsor? Uh, you know, how many different relationships uh, is it possible to try to really develop into quality ones where you are a trusted person with them and they would advocate on your behalf? I think it comes down to, you know, what kind of role you have, how much exposure you have and, you know, how much energy you get from this stuff. Because obviously the, the kind of ideal answer is as many as you can, right? Meanwhile, back in the real world, you know, we've got jobs to do. But, you know, having only one mentor or only one sponsor there's definitely risk there. You know, I had many situations where I had strong sponsorship from my boss or my regional president, and then they left. And then you're like, oh gosh, you know, here I am stuck out, you know, miles away from everyone and away from head office where I can bump into people and build those relationships. And I really, you know, I've got to start again. So the more you can build, um, and, you know, these are not long conversations. They're really not, you know. So if you're, you know, in a meeting, if you're in an Uber, you know, if you're waiting by an elevator, you know, I often say to women, there are, there are the kind of, you know, can I book time in your schedule kind of meetings. But then there are also what I call micro encounters. Oh, I like where, that term. Mm-hmm. Right. Micro encounters are, you know, if you hop on the Zoom call together and nobody else is there, right? And they say, hey, how are you? Right. I say to women, you're not allowed to say, I'm fine, thanks, and then change the subject. You have to say something. You have to make your work visible. And great. We just got the results of that study and the results are looking really great. We're going to come and see you. I'm going to be asking you for money soon. <laughs> and now, now they know, oh, that's great. Helen's on that project. Oh, yes. And oh, they're coming soon. And oh, that's great that she's pushing it forward. Right. Rather than like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Weather's nice, isn't it? Right. You've lost mm-hmm. the opportunity. So use those micro encounters to build those relationships. And or you could say, oh, you know, something happened the other day and I thought of you in the micro encounter. I thought of you. I had a question for you. Can you spare me some time? I want to ask your advice. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no. Speak to my admin. Yeah, yeah, you can get on my schedule. And you've used the micro encounter for something really valuable. Um, so both mentors and sponsors really, really critical and have as many as you can, as long as it's practical. But, and, you know, they're genuine relationships, right? These are genuine yes. relationships. So, you know, you know I going think that's to such people an important, who you... That's such an important point, Helen. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit because... Don't you think people can sense if you are, and I don't want to use the word manipulating, but, you know, maneuvering, or you've got this ulterior motive versus genuinely wanting to learn and connect with them. I think that there's a distinction that in your attitude about approaching someone, whether it's to make your work visible or whether it's to seek help from someone you'd like as a sponsor or as a mentor. Um, I'm just imagining some people maybe being, you know, uncomfortable or feeling like, 
Oh, this is hard for me. You talk in your book about curiosity. curiosity and so I'm thinking yeah. throughout the book. So I'm, I'm thinking, how can someone apply this idea of being curious to each of these types of, you know, potential settings? Yeah, I think, as you said, it's really about doing it authentically, finding something that you really do want their input on it. And, you know, I think if you were to say to me, oh, there isn't anything that I'd like their input on, I'd say, mm, bring more curiosity to it, right? You, there is something, right? They, have, they are more senior than you and super successful, you know, for a reason. So what, it is, what is it that you can learn from them? And bring curiosity. How can you show up and really learn and listen? Because um, you've no idea what can come out of those conversations. Um, so yeah, the the authentic piece is the curiosity. The only other thing I would say, Meredith, is like the reluctance to do it. I think again is sometimes good girl conditioning, and you know pushing someone to a little tiny bit out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So yes, bring curiosity, but you know, and you know what, it might still be a bit uncomfortable especially if you don't know them. But, you know, if it's your third conversation, by then you'll know them a lot better. And mm-hmm. you, you know, it's going to feel more comfortable. It's going to feel more authentic. They're going to be like, oh, what happened? I can't wait to hear the update. You know, did you do it? And how's it going? And uh, it will, it gets easier. So, you know. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm realizing, I think one of the things that might hold women back and and some men too. I'm not trying to, you know, say it's all women, but this whole good girl thing that is Mm -hmm. kind of drilled into us. Maybe we need to also be more free about showing our enthusiasm for what we're doing, that we feel like we have to be buttoned up and not too extreme and and be accused of being emotional maybe. Um, But that genuine excitement and enthusiasm about what we're doing, I think, has a, a real persuasive power with mm. people. They sense it, they feel it, they see it. Um, so I think as I'm listening to you, I think that's an important element that mm. gets incorporated into that curiosity. And, and yeah. it, it helps you feel more confident. Would you say that's true? Yeah. And I think, you know, somebody who shows up asking for advice, who's passionate, enthusiastic, and curious, right? It's kind of irresistible. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm sure you can have a cup of coffee with someone like that. It's not that hard, really. (laughs) Well, one of the final things I wanted to um, get to, to talk to you about a little bit, because I do have a number of men who listen what are two or three things? I mean, you have this whole section in the back of the book, but I would love for you to just mention two or three that you think some men may not even realize what they could do to be more supportive. So let's raise their awareness level. What are some things they could do? Sure. Um, there's a list. <laughs> I know. I, I know. One, um, one of the most um fundamental things I think that men can think about is are you running an organization that you would want your daughter to work in and asking themselves that question right would you want your daughter to work in your team 
And if the answer to that is no, then what are you doing about it? Right. And really pondering that, you know, are you running a team where women's voices are heard, where they are paid for doing, you know, equal pay for equal work, right? Where you are supporting them, where they can, you know, be respected and move around, you know, without fear of harassment, um, as you would want for your daughter or your niece or your sister, you know, whatever the equivalent is in your life. Um, so that I think is is one of the most fundamental ways that men can reflect on how they can change the way they lead. And then a couple of other things. I think, um, you know, we've already talked a lot, haven't we, about mentors and sponsors. Mm-hmm. And I, another question I ask men to do is to reflect on who do you mentor? Right, informally or formally, right? Who do you have coffee with? Who do you take an interest in their career? And I would suggest write a list. Right? And then look at the list and say, do they all look like me? Right? How many of them are women? How many of them are, you know, not the same color as you? How many of them are differently abled, right? Just how unconsciously um, we are drawn to those people. And so can we consciously expand our comfort zone to include being interested and giving advice to people that are, you know, not on your immediate list and the same for sponsors, right? Write a list. Who do you advocate for when they're not in the room? And if they all look like you, (laughs) or if you have some realization when you write that list, how can you expand that list? How can you get to know more people so that, you know, and, and get to the point where you feel like you can risk your brand reputation um, mm-hmm. by supporting them when they're not in the room. So those are two. Um, and then I think the other, there's some data that I quote in the book, which is around um, interruptions right? and how often we, men and women, interrupt each other. Men interrupt twice as much as women do. And usually they interrupt women. So, you know, really watching who who gets to speak in the meetings that you are in. Do they get heard? Or can you, you know, can you advocate for a woman and say, let her finish? Right? Say that again. Or, you know, oh, that's a really great idea. Meredith said that earlier. and can you watch that credit is being given because often there's a cartoon in the book isn't there which says that's a great idea miss triggs now if perhaps one of the men could suggest it (laughs) (laughs) yes right so watching whose voice is heard in the room who's getting interrupted and where is idea where are ideas being given credit for and you know it's not just men you know i talk in the book about Women interrupt less than men do, but when we interrupt, we interrupt other women a lot more. So we, you know, unconscious bias applies to women too. Mm-hmm. And we have to watch who we're interrupting and, mm-hmm. you know, also watch who we're mentoring. Who are we mentoring? Yes. And, you know, are we putting, are we lifting? Are we all lifting as we rise? Mm-hmm. Yes, because we didn't go into that women versus women and some of the competitive things that can happen there that can create problems too. I think what you're really getting at, Helen, as we kind of summarize our conversation is 
taking personal responsibility for noticing other people that you could help lift up and mm-hmm. then looking for opportunities where you can, and, and really, I think about it in a way of helping someone in a senior position realize how they can create a legacy by lifting up other people. So it's kind of a raising of awareness at both ends of the spectrum, both people you can help as well as those that can help you. If you approach it with that kind of attitude, it seems like there would be a lot of receptivity from both sides. Absolutely. And honestly, Meredith, to, you know, to bounce it back to the theme of your podcast, what it's all about in the end is growing strong leaders, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It really growing is. that next generation, right? So, and growing a bench underneath us that can, that can help do, you know, our work and, I'll work after us. <laughs> well, I I love everything that you are focused on doing, Helen. The work you're doing individually, coaching other women, and then through your podcast, giving a platform for people to share their experiences so your listeners can extract additional lessons. All of that to me is a fabulous way or ways that you are, are giving back. So thank you. I'm so glad that you've joined me today. I just love who you are and what you're, you're contributing from all of the things you've learned over the years. So share with my listeners how they can get a copy of your wonderful book, The Unwritten Rules <laughs> for Women, connect with you and learn more about the services that you offer. Thank you, Meredith. I'm on LinkedIn is, uh, is the best way to find me. I'm on Instagram, Helen Appleby coaching. Um, and the unwritten rules of women's leadership is wherever you buy your books. It's on Amazon. It's on books a million everywhere. Um, the podcast is everywhere that you find your podcast or, you know, where we normally look for podcasts, um, called the unwritten rules of women's leadership. And then the website is theunwrittenrules.com. <laughs> There's a bit of a theme there, isn't That's it? That's great. So easy to remember, the unwritten rules. Yes. Well, thank you again, Helen. I'm so glad you've been with me today. And so many things that you've brought up are, are really important things for my listeners to reflect on and look for ways that they can bring them to life in their own lives. So I appreciate you. Thank you, Meredith. Lovely to be here. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.